So this is Reed, everybody, and um, you've been here before, but for those of you who may have forgotten, I mean, it was only last year, but yeah. lots has happened in that time. Forgettable. Um, do you want to tell us, <laughs> you're not forgettable, do you want to tell us a wee bit about yourself, maybe family, background, interests, that sort of stuff? Heritage. Um, I'm American. I came over here, I was talking to somebody, I came over here 10 years ago this year, which is crazy and has gone really fast in that time. Uh, I've gotten married to a Gore girl and had three wonderful children, and we've spent the last, uh, we're in our sixth year now mm -hmm. at the Gore Baptist Church doing youth stuff. Um, and it's been a pleasure the whole time. You've come up here, see you guys again. So it's last cool. weekend was Easter. <clears throat> Some of mm. us were isolating. You were not isolating. I was the opposite of isolating, You were with 3,000 <laughs> people at the yep. Christchurch Easter camp. Yeah. So yep. it was pretty positive? It was very positive. It's, it's a really unique opportunity to take some youth and just spend time with them. There's nothing else throughout the whole rest of the year that you get in terms of you go up as a group and you spend time together and you tent together, whether the weather's good or bad, uh, and you eat food and go to sessions. Uh, it's amazing, mm. really, really good. So we're very grateful that you've come here. You're probably mm. still recovering from like three hours sleep over the yeah, entire Easter weekend. It's good. But uh, <laughs> we'll pray for you and then you can hook into it. Cool. God, thanks for, again, this time together this morning and for Reed making the journey to just come and share and encourage and challenge us from your word. We pray that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see and open hearts um, as you speak to us through Reed. In your name, amen. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, man. Um, if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them up to Second Peter chapter 1 is where we'll be. Uh, if you want to follow along there, that would be great. I love coming up here, I love hearing the stories, um, and I literally have written down here that I pray that this would be a chance for us to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, and I feel like I already have been by hearing what God's doing here just as much as He is anywhere else, uh, and so now I hope that you're encouraged by what I have to say as well. Um, by way of introduction, I don't know uh, what power companies you guys are signed up with, but there's a period of time where me and my family were signed up with Genesis Power. Uh, and if you don't know, one of the benefits of being with Genesis Power is that they occasionally give you these things called Power Shouts where essentially what it is, is you get a notification on your app, on your phone that says, congratulations, you've just received eight hours of free power to use towards your power shout. And at that point, you get to decide how you want to use it. So me and my household would get to decide when we want to use our power shout, and you've got to book it in. So we might say we want to use three hours of our power shout next Thursday, starting at 1 p.m. And so when Thursday at 1 p.m. rolls around, Genesis tracks it, and for the next three hours, whatever power you use, you don't actually get charged for it. It's free. It's a power shout. So sometimes, if I'm honest, we wouldn't do our power shout all that well. It would start, and we'd kind of remember halfway through, oh my goodness, we're in the middle of a power shout at the moment, and you'd kind of start the load of laundry just to do something with it. <laughs> But sometimes we would use every second of every hour 
of that free power. Like as soon as 1 p.m. would roll around, every single light in the house was on. We would be charging all of our devices and devices that we could think of that we haven't used for ages. We'd be plugging them in. We'd be running as many loads of laundry as we possibly could through the washer and the dryer, like crank it up as high as you need to. We'd be finding excuses to turn on the oven or run the dishwasher on the heavy cycle, because why not? Uh, Why? Because for that period of time, we knew that our power was inexhaustible, right? Why not use it? It's there. Go for it. What if I told you that as Christians, we too have access to inexhaustible riches? My hope for all of us is that we don't get to the end of our lives and look back and say, Man, I had access to all of those things, and I wish that I'd used them better. My hope is that we'd get to the end and we'd all be able to look back and say, man, I knew exactly what I had access to, and I made the most of it. So what do we have, and how do we get it, and how do we make the most of it? Uh, we'll figure that out today as we look at 2 Peter chapter 1, just verse 3, which says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. All we're going to do today is look at two different things from this one verse. We're going to look at the help of God, and we're going to look at the heart of God. Right? The help of God and the heart of God. So the help of God. One of the first things, and it's going to seem like a weird place to start, but one of the first things I want you to see as we look at this verse is... Uh, why did God give us everything we need? What's the goal? Like, what's the point? Why did he give it to us? He gave us everything we need for a godly life. The reason he gave us everything we need is for something, and the reason is for a godly life. The point is to live a life that's honoring to God. However, the Bible will make it clear that we cannot live a life that is honoring to God on our own. In order to do that, we need the help of God. We need the help of God to live the life that he's actually calling us to live. Now, if we're not careful, the Christian life can kind of start to feel like a bunch of plates that you've just got to keep spinning I don't know if you've seen photos of this before or seen people do it before, uh, but there are actually people who can get plates spinning fast enough that they'll actually balance on the top of the stick purely by the force of them spinning around. I don't understand the physics, it just works, all right? As you can see, uh, some people are able to get quite a lot of these spinning at one time, and some people, the really talented ones, can actually balance multiple ones on their hand and keep them all going at one time. Apparently, the world record for all of this is 108 plates spinning at one time by one guy with one assistant, 
which to me sounds pretty impressive, given I'm pretty sure I couldn't even do one. That's an impressive feat, but what that does not capture is the anxiety that comes when you think about the possibility of dropping one, right? Like, what if I can't actually keep all of these plates spinning? Then what happens? What if I drop one, and in trying to sort of save one from falling, I dropped another one? Or what if... uh, Like, what in the world am I supposed to do if I end up dropping all of them? Or what will people think if all of a sudden my plates start wobbling? Or what will God think if I can't keep all of them going? Now, some of you might hear that and might instantly relate to that ever-present hum of anxiety in the background of your life because you're worried that somewhere, somehow, you might be doing it wrong whether in your Christian life or just in general. Or, kind of on the other side, is it possible sometimes that we lean into the love of God and the grace of God to the point that we've forgotten that God actually calls us to a really high standard? He does. He calls us to live a godly life. Life. In other words, because you know that he loves you and because you know that he's willing to forgive you, sometimes it's easy to forget that the standard that he does call us to as Christians is really high. Now, one clear example of what the Christian life should look like is just a really succinct picture is found in Romans 12, and I haven't put it up on the screen for you because I just want you to listen, and I want you to ask yourself, man, if this is what the Christian life is, how am I actually doing with all of these different things? Just listen to a few of these things pulled out of Romans 12. Your love must be sincere. You must hate what is evil and you must cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope and patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people in need and practice hospitality. And you could go on and on and on throughout the rest of this passage. How are you doing? Or, if I were to turn some of these verses into kind of life-searching questions, they might sound like, do you genuinely love every single person that God has intentionally put around you? Or would you describe, or would those around you, describe your spiritual life as fervent and zealous? How's your joy or your patience or your consistency in prayer? Have you been generous recently? Like you could go on and on and on and all of a sudden you feel like maybe some of these plates start to wobble just a little bit. Now, I don't want to share all of this with you just to kind of bury you under shame and accusation because you feel like a lousy Christian. I share all of this with you to remind you that as one lyric in one song says, the strength to follow his commands could never come from me. 
The responsibility to keep these plates spinning isn't you trying super hard and being anxious your whole life to make it happen. It does not come from you. And if you try to make it come from you, you're going to be so exhausted. Because we can't live the life he's calling us to live without him. It's impossible. It's like trying to get water to flow uphill. It's like trying to drive a car without petrol. It's impossible to live a godly life on our own. We need his help. What God is saying through this verse today to us is not only do we need his help, he's saying we have it. We definitely have it. God, out of love for us, has already given us, he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. If you need it, you definitely have it. The storehouse is empty. He's held nothing back from you. The toolbox is full. There is not one single piece of equipment that you might need that he has not given you. Because of what, you, what he has done for you, no matter what situation you find yourself in, you can never say, I don't have what I need, or I'm unequipped. Instead, no matter what situation you find yourself in, you can always say, or he can look at you, and he can tell you, I have given you everything you need to live a godly life in this moment, no matter how difficult it feels. Listen, this is true whether you feel it or not. This is really basic. The language Peter uses here is past tense, which means it's already happened. His divine power has given us everything. That's a past completed action. He's already done it. So, look, when you realize that you are a sinner in need of saving, and when you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and welcomed him as Lord of your life, from that very moment, and in every moment since then, you have had everything that you need to live a godly life. He's given it to you. Why? Because you have the help of God that we all so desperately need. Which brings us to the heart of God. So we've got this awesome promise of empty storehouses and full toolboxes. But the next question kind of becomes, so what is everything that he's given to us? Like, does it bother anyone else here that Peter says, he's given you everything, and then proceeds to list off nothing in specific that he's given you? Like, have you thought about how weird this would be in any other situation if someone did this to you? Like, imagine that you're out at sea, sailing by yourself, uh, and for whatever reason, your boat just gets hit by this massive rogue wave. You didn't see it coming, you didn't prepare for it, it hits your boat, 
All of a sudden, alarms start sounding and water starts coming in from places that you'd really rather it not come in. And with your heart pounding, you grab your sat phone and you call your family on land uh, and you kind of quickly explain the situation like, Dad, you wouldn't believe what just happened. The wave came, the water's coming in everywhere. And then your dad, with his calm, reassuring voice, comes back over the phone, says, don't worry, you have everything you need to survive, and then hangs up. (laughs) Have you thought about it? Like, it's weird. He doesn't tell us anything about what we actually have. He just says, you have everything. Is this what God is doing to us? I've given you everything you need. Now go sort yourself out. Not at all. God is not giving us everything that we need so that we don't need him. And we'll we'll see, in fact, it's actually quite the opposite. And we know it's the opposite because of how we gain access to everything we need. If you read on through the rest of the verse... Uh, It says that he's given us everything we need for a godly life. How do we get it? Through our knowledge of him. How do we gain access to it? We gain access through our knowledge of God. Man, do you know him? If you know him, then you have it. Look, we see the heart of God shine through here. Because he's actually made his riches accessible to everyone. God requires no formal education to know him. In fact, sometimes it's the people at primary school levels of education that know him deeper than people with PhDs. He has no standard of how clean our lives need to be before he'll be in relationship with us. In fact... It kind of seems like the only requirement he has is that we know that we actually need him. God has quite intentionally put this fruit on the lowest hanging branch so that anybody who really wants it can reach out and grab it. Do you know him? Then the Bible will say right here that you have everything you need to live a godly life. So go back to that analogy with the ship in danger out at sea. God does not provide us with everything that we need and then leave us by ourselves to sort out the problem. Instead, the picture is more like God providing us with everything that we need and then sitting on the other end of that radio and waiting for our call. Like, as Christians, God is for us. And so the picture is much more like him sitting there on the edge of his seat with his ear pressed to the radio, waiting for the faintest crackle to come through that might indicate that you are reaching out to him. And in a moment, he is there ready to talk you through it, ready to help his dearly loved child use everything he's been given to live in a godly way in whatever storm you happen to be sitting in in that moment. The picture is not a distant and uncaring God. The picture is more a close, 
loving Father, ready to walk us through whatever He can and whatever He needs to with what He's given us. So, let's recap just a little bit. Um, God's given us the help we need by giving us everything we need to live a godly life. And the way he gives us everything we need is not by our own efforts or by our own actions. It's just by knowing him. And his heart in giving us all of that stuff freely is not so that we go and do our own thing. His heart in giving it freely is so that we actually are in relationship with him. Now, we've got to ask, how does all this play out in real life? It's really important to see that what God has given us is what we need to live a godly life. What God has not given us is a godly life. And there's a big difference between those two things. He's given us what we need to live a godly life. He has not given us a godly life. In other words, in every situation we face, God has given us everything that we need to respond in a godly way. But if you've been a Christian for longer than like 20 minutes, you'll know that we don't always respond to every situation in a godly way, do we? Or am I the only one? Look, we're still a work in progress, and we will be until the day that we die. When he saves us, he doesn't give us total freedom from sin and make us into like the Christian version of Superman. Instead, he gives us his spirit so that we can always say, he's given me what I need to respond in a God-honoring way in this moment. Like we always have the ability to do that, even if we don't sometimes. So sometimes what this means is that living a godly life looks like you would expect it to. Sometimes it looks like loving those around you. Sometimes it does look like demonstrating the gifts of the Spirit or showing hospitality. Sometimes it looks like knowing God and living like Jesus and doing what He would do. But sometimes... Living a godly life looks very differently than that. Sometimes living a godly life, in a sense, is admitting to yourself that you're not. Like that's the first step sometimes. So to imagine this, imagine that we were on a tramp in Fjordland, heading through the dense bush, and somewhere along the way, you've realized that you've wandered off the trail. You've made a mistake. You're not where you're supposed to be. All of a sudden, you're just in this dense bush. It's like you can only see a couple meters at a time. Don't know where you're going anymore. After you have that realization, you now have a choice. You can choose whether to kind of back yourself and press on and sort of figure it out on your own and make your own trail and maybe survive, or you can admit your mistake, you can pull out your compass, you can kind of reorient yourself, and you can head probably backwards in the direction that you know is right and you know is true, but it does involve turning around. So sometimes 
Living a godly life and responding in a godly way looks like being in a household full of children that have pushed you past your breaking point hours ago and finally saying, God, I need your help. I cannot do this on my own. Sometimes living a godly life looks like finally admitting to yourself that you're never going to beat that sin on your own and you actually need to put your hand up and admit to somebody else that you need help. Sometimes living a godly life looks like being willing to acknowledge that your marriage that for years has looked great on the outside, if you were to look on the inside, it's in danger of collapse because the foundations have been neglected. And I want you to see that even in these moments, the heart of God is still for you because he's given you everything you need to start living a godly life in those moments. Sometimes responding in a godly way is putting up your hand and saying, I can't do this anymore. I need help. So finally... Where will we find everything that we need for a godly life? Like, where will we find what he's actually given us? You'll find it in his word. Definitely spend time in the word. Get to know it. Spend time around people who know it. If you don't feel like you know it all that well, find people who do and ask them how it applies to your situation now. You'll also find what you need and what he's given you in community. I don't know if you realize this, but this is a gift from him, the pastor that he has blessed you with. He has put here to help you live a godly life. And everybody sitting around you here is a gift from God to you to help you live a godly life. And I would plead with you, make use of them, invite them in. And then look out for ways that you can help them live a godly life as well. That is community. So for those of you who are Christians, the question for you today is, are you actually taking advantage of the inexhaustible riches that he has definitely given you? Are there any areas that you know you need to pick up the radio or put up your hand or just admit that it's not working? And if there are, I would encourage you, find somebody today and talk about that. I'll throw you with lanyards under the bus. Find one of these guys and get them to pray for you or I'll pray with you. This is all like we're all in it together. And if you're in here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, would you consider how wild it is just for one moment that God loves you enough to bring you in here this morning uh, just to tell you what he's done for you? Not only with this, but even more so by sending his son to pay the price that you could never, ever pay. My encouragement for you specifically would be admit your need for him, reach out and grab a hold of the fruit that is hanging there and find that it is far sweeter than you ever imagined it could be. As you do, may you find that he truly does give you everything you need to live the life that he has created you to live.